0: If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Psalm 102. The text reads like this. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in midcourse. He has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Amen. We have been looking at the attributes of God throughout the book of Psalms. Throughout the course of this series, we have looked at how our God is the only God, how he is holy, merciful, loving, almighty, and just. All of these attributes are great and comforting to us as Christians, but all of these sermons and all of our time in the Psalms would be in vain if not for this specific attribute of God that we will be looking at together this evening. This evening, we will be studying what it means that our God is unchanging. This attribute is so important to the life of the Christian for so many different reasons, but it is also one of the most difficult attributes for us to grasp. Why is that? Because we, as fallible human beings, are subject to so many changes throughout the course of our lives. We are so used to looking at others as well as ourselves in the process of growth and changing as the seasons go by, as we try to improve ourselves and become better people. If we look at who we were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we would see an entirely different person. As human beings, we are so used to the passage of time changing us and making us who we are today. But our God is not like that. Because our God is the one who created time and exists outside of it, he is not subject to the same change that we are. Every attribute that makes up who he is has been true since before time began. It continues to be true now and will continue to be true forevermore. The way that the Lord acted towards the saints of old is the same way that he continues to act toward us with the only thing changing being who we are and how we have cultivated and looked after the world that we live in. We may change as mankind, but our God is unchanging. So tonight, I want to study this very idea about how our God is unchanging. Tonight's sermon will serve as a conclusion in our series through the Psalms, reminding us that because our God is unchanging, each attribute of God that we have studied is not just applicable to us right now in this season of life, but will reign true for all time and forevermore. God is loving, holy, merciful, and just, and will never at any time be anything less than that. So when talking about our God is unchanging, most theologians use a more specific word to describe our God's nature. So the $10 theological word that I I will be using throughout the course of this sermon is, as Dave just said it, immutability. Essentially, the word immutable means that he is unchanging over time or is unable to be changed. I'll be using this word a handful of times throughout the course of this evening, so just know that it essentially means unchanging, but it also highlights that our God is unable to be changed. So tonight, we will see how God's immutability reveals to us the plight of man, how God's immutability, immutability reveals to us the established throne, and how God's immutability reveals to us the eternal dilemma. Let us begin by reading the first 11 verses of Psalm 102 again, looking this time at the plight of man. The psalmist writes this, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the days my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. So the author of our psalm, begins his writing by crying out to the Lord and asking him to hear our author's prayer. This introduction is not uncommon inside of the book of Psalms, but it is particularly common in the Psalms of lament, which we run into in Psalm 102. The author seems to be lamenting over the physical ailment that he is suffering through, which will likely cut his life short. He cries out to the Lord in anguish, wishing for the creator to hear the groan of his creation. What is interesting about the historic understanding of this particular psalm is that throughout all of church history, this psalm is considered to be a penitential psalm. A penitential psalm is when the author is expressing penitence, or grief and sorrow over the sins that they have committed. In most cases, this involves the psalmist acknowledging and confessing his sins before the Lord, but in our case with Psalm 102, we don't explicitly see this exact relationship happening. But if we look a bit deeper, we will see the exact reason why Psalm 102 is called a penitential psalm. Inside of the lament of our author, he discusses how his life is being cut short, how his grief is causing him to feel isolated, and how his enemies taunt him even in the midst of his pain. So where does the author attribute reasoning behind this? He attributes it to God's wrath in verse 10 when he says, because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. This is because the Bible, and the Psalms in particular, have a very high view of God's sovereignty. If God is truly above everything, and nothing is is going to ever be able to be accomplished outside of God's will, then the psalmist's suffering is nothing outside of God's control. This brings up a problem that not only our psalmist is dealing with in the midst of his suffering, but that people in the modern day are still asking. If God is good, then why is there suffering? The psalmist does not answer it here in this section of the psalm, nor really in any section following, but sits inside of the tension of this question. He knows that our God is good, despite the suffering that he is experiencing. That is then why I think this classification of the psalm as a penitential psalm is so brilliant. Our psalmist knows that our God is good, but laments over the suffering that he is experiencing. He does not get angry with God because he he believes that God is the reason behind it or the cause of his suffering, Instead, he pleads to God for relief, knowing that the suffering that he is experiencing is because of his own sinful heart. When man was created to be in communion with God, there was no suffering because there was no sin. But when man brought sin into the created world, he also let suffering through the door as well. God is not the cause of our suffering. Mankind is. But God in his mercy then uses the suffering that we brought into the world for the greater good. Think of Jesus in John chapter 9 when he is asking his disciples who sinned to cause a man to be born blind. The disciples think about this for a bit. But then Jesus responds to them by saying, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. God then uses the suffering that we caused to reveal to us his very nature. He looks at us and our self-inflicted wounds, which did not happen outside of his sight, But then offers us relief from those very same wounds. Our God is like the father, or is like a father who warns his child not to hurt themselves. But when the child inevitably does, the father points out the lesson that they should have learned and helps them to patch up the scrape, even though the child caused it and was warned against it. God uses our suffering in this way. To point us toward Himself and seek relief and rest in Him. This is how He has acted throughout all of history. Think of the many instances of biblical characters crying out to the Lord for deliverance and God saving them. I mean, the whole book of Judges is a repetition of this very cycle. When the people of in-judges worshipped other gods and did what was right in their own eyes, God used their suffering to draw them back to him and save them. He acted this way throughout all of biblical history and continues to do that to this very day. This is because our God's immutability, our God's unchangingness reveals to us the plight of man in which mankind chooses sin instead of God and brings their own sufferings into the world, highlighting our own fallibility and failures. God remains perfect and holy, yet we choose imperfect things instead. So what then should we do while we are steeped inside of our lament and suffering? We simply need to be running to God for forgiveness and relief from our pain. I find some sense of irony in making this point as I have been dealing with a kind of similar feeling in my relationship with my fiance, Rebecca. Every night before we go to sleep, Rebecca and I call each other and talk about our days and whatever comes to our heads that evening. And one of the things that we are really learning to do as a couple as we have these nightly conversations is the fact that we want to share our difficult emotions and burdens with one another and encourage each other through these difficult times. The problem that we keep running into, though, is that we want to be selfish with our emotions. We each have a strong desire to help the other person out, help them process whatever is going on in their lives, especially these deep and difficult feelings, but we never want to be the one who is being comforted. (laughs) This is because we either deem these feelings to be worthless or undeserving of the other person's time. But the thing is, we do this very same thing with our God failing to bring the entirety of our existence and our lives before him. We have lost the words of lament to our God. But God still wants to be our comforter, even though we have lost that vocabulary because it is God's very nature to offer us relief from our suffering. We cannot deem our feelings as unimportant because we think they might be undeserving of God's time. The psalmist didn't seem to think so as the author of Psalm 102 is bringing the deepest despair that he's facing before the Lord, even though, even though he knows that mankind's sinfulness is the root of this pain. God uses our lamenting in our sin to reveal to us his unchanging and never-ending love for us. He answers our prayers and gives us relief from our own problems because he is eternally loving and merciful. So when we dwell upon God's immutability, we recognize how we change for the worse and make mistakes, causing us to realize our true need for him. The plight of man is that we need God but we constantly choose other things instead. So church, rely on God. For our God has always been there offering to us relief from our own self-inflicted injuries. Now, let us continue looking at the next couple of verses. Picking back up in verse 12, we'll read to verse 22. It says, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who are doomed to die that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. after bringing his lament before the Lord. Our psalmist changes from looking introspectively at himself to looking at God, seeing who he is and seeing that God is the same throughout all of eternity. Specifically, he looks at the established throne, how God is reigning above the heavens and earth forever. If God is immutable, and unchanging, that means that his role as the king over all things will never be taken away. If God was not ruling over all, he wouldn't be God because his almighty power is a part of his very nature. Therefore, God's immutability reveals to us the forever established throne. Our God is a righteous and merciful king, and the establishment of his throne throughout all of time means that his acts of mercy and judgment of unrighteousness will reign true throughout all of time and forevermore. For the psalmist, he looks specifically at Zion and the description of it and how God is going to save his people For the Old Testament Israelite, Zion was understood to be the seat of power in Israel's kingdom because the royal palace was built there. This is the place where the people of God dwelt and worshipped God. So it is of no surprise that we see God say that he will protect this place. The psalmist then looks to the promises that God will deliver and raise up Zion in the midst of his own suffering but it will not just be his suffering that will be relieved when Zion is raised up. All of God's people will experience deliverance from sin, death, and evil when the Lord raises up his holy city. This is why, for the psalmist, he remembering that God's people hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. God's people remember the promise of deliverance, that the king has given to his people. And because our God is immutable, that deliverance will always come. He hears and does not despise the prayers of the destitute. Of course, the promises of deliverance cause the people of God to celebrate that the mercy the Lord has given to us We gather together and we celebrate all that the Lord has done and all that he continues to do in our lives. But we do not let that celebration go to pass on and be forgotten. We remember the things that the Lord has done in our lives by writing them down and recording them so that people who have yet to be born will be able to experience the same joy of celebration over God's mercy and grace. Because our God is immutable, because he has set the captives free and has delivered the prisoners from the death that they had deserved, we can celebrate and rejoice in his mercy. We can rejoice that he is still working today to save sinners the same way that he did decades, hundreds, or even thousands of years ago. Our God saves people. It is his very nature. And each of us has a different story of how God has delivered us from uh, from the wrath that we deserved. A Christian podcast that I was listening to this past week about storytelling was discussing the place of testimony in the life of the Christian. One of the things they were talking about on this particular episode was asking family members about specific moments in time, uh, how the Lord has delivered them or worked through them, saying that this conversation would produce many stories of the Lord's faithfulness that you probably haven't heard before. One host in particular tells a story about his grandfather, who was an American World War II and Korean War veteran. And how the host had asked his grandfather at what point in life he was the most afraid. The grandfather flew combat, uh, flew, as a, flew planes as a combat pilot for the Marines, and had some of the craziest war stories imaginable, including one where he was in a foxhole in the Pacific with his leg blown off, a piece of shrapnel inside of his zipper of his, pilot, of his of pilot's uniform not knowing if he was going to survive that day. However, the story of losing his leg in the Pacific was not the moment that he was most scared in his life. The moment that he talked about being most scared is when he was flying through a rough storm. In the cockpit of his jet, this man cried out to our Lord, saying that if he were to to survive this storm, That he would get right with God. Of course, he survived the storm. That's how we got this story. But it would take a couple of years for this man to give his life to God and find salvation in Christ. But when he did, according to the host, uh, he could see the weight of this unfulfilled promise that his grandfather had made while near death come off of his shoulders when he was baptized dedicating his life to God. What we should then realize is that our God, being the same throughout all of time, works in amazing ways throughout the life of his people and will continue to do so from generation to generation. So what then should we, as Christians right now, take away from seeing the forever established throne of God? We should recognize that every Christian, every person who has given their life to Christ, including ourselves, has a testimony of how the Almighty King has blessed them and kept them over the course of their life. This way, when we are experiencing times of trouble and suffering and see no benefit to looking at how God is working in our own lives in that current moment, we can look at and study the testimonies of other Christians and see how God has worked in their lives. We can read biographies or watch documentaries about missionaries and see how the Lord has worked throughout their ministries. If you grew up in a Christian family and have Christian parents or grandparents or siblings, ask them how the Lord has moved in in them over the course of their life getting through these tough and difficult times. If you're the first person in your family to come to Christ, ask people right here in this church how the Lord has worked in them and delivered them. If you are lacking hope in your own situation, think about how God has worked in the lives of others and recognize that you are not the first person that God is going to skip over. Our God has not abandoned you. God's people from every background imaginable have gone through sufferings of every kind imaginable. And yet God has faithfully stewarded these people through their suffering. This is because our God is faithful in his rule and he will continue to save his people. His throne is permanently established over all things, and He will always act according to His will and character. So look to His throne for hope. Now, finally, let us look at the last couple of verses of our psalm for this evening. Picking back up in verse 23, it says, "He has broken my strength in midcourse; He has shortened my days." Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of your days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. At this final part of our psalm, we sit inside of this tension of the psalmist who is still lamenting over the end of his days, but recognizing that the Lord reigns forever. This feeling of tension is a feeling that all of us consider and contemplate at some point in our lives. We think about the fact that our lives are never going to last forever, and they will eventually end. The whole world as we know it will come to a definitive end for our God has already secured this ending when he wrote history. God has secured this ending, so then what happens to us This this right here is the eternal dilemma that everyone must face when understanding God's immutability. Our psalmist and author has now looked both at himself and seen the suffering that he is experiencing and he has also looked up to God who sits on the throne of heaven forever and will save his people when the times come walking along with our psalmist train of thought we see that we see that dwelling on the lord's goodness does not offer us immediate physical relief from our suffering our psalmist still sees his life coming to an end very soon so then what are we to do where do we go when we are suffering nobody truly enjoys their own suffering We all want relief from this pain and we all crave peace, comfort, and ease to be abundant in our lives. But this is not always the case. So then we as mankind have two possible choices. The first possible choice that we can make is to self-medicate this pain and draw away from God. We can look at the things of this world and use them as painkillers. Seeking to make our pain more tolerable and cover it up. There's so many different things that fit this very criteria. So whatever your heart may desire, I am sure that there's some answer for you there. Whether it is drunkenness, gambling, drugs, pornography, prominence, power, strength, you fill in the blank. Whatever desire you could have, there is something in this world that will help satisfy that desire. But the thing is, That whatever you are going to use to fulfill this desire will eventually fade away. It will not last forever. It will fail at some point and there is nothing that you can do to stop it from fading away. It will leave you feeling more empty than when you began. The second possible choice that you have is to then draw close to God putting your trust in him to heal you and save you from any suffering that you could be going through. We can look up to our God in the heavens and see how he has worked throughout all of time and trust in his faithfulness and that he will work the same way now as he did then. We can remember God's eternality and his immutability, knowing that he will continue to be faithful to his people throughout all of time and realize that trusting in him is is our best possible choice. Remember the passage from Hebrews that we read at the beginning of this service. Well, in that passage, we have a direct quotation of verses 25 through 27 of Psalm 102. The author of Hebrews uses these verses about how God will remain the same forever and attributes them to our savior, Jesus Christ Christ, the Son of God, is the one who will remain forever and will never have an end. This means that the work that he has done, the work of his death on the cross, and his offer of the power that reaches down to us and has grace on us to save sinners, this power will never fade away. The power of his saving grace will never stop working. There is no limit to what he has done or who He will save those who are in Christ. He will save them from their sufferings. He will deliver them from their sins. The power of Christ has been made known to his people and it will accomplish what it set out to do. So when we place these two options next to each other, the decision becomes obvious. We must call upon the Lord in all parts of our life, but especially in suffering and lament. Our psalmist describes his suffering in detail, even recognizing God's sovereignty in all of it. But this does not stop him from calling upon the Lord or even walking away from him. Our psalmist chooses to draw near, knowing that God will eventually relieve him from all the suffering that he is facing once and for all. The answer to his prayer may not come immediately, but the promises of the Lord will be completed. The salvation given to us by God is guaranteed to all who call upon him. Our God is a God who offers to us deliverance and always has because it is a part of his immutable nature. So my challenge for you this evening. Is both simple and difficult. Trust in the Lord. He has worked throughout all of history. Delivering people from their sin. And saving them from damnation. It is his very nature to save people. So there is nothing that can stand in the way of him saving you and me from our sins. He is a perfect God whose mercy never ends and his love abounds forever. So throw away any part of your life that takes away your own trust in God. Get rid of the sinful things of this world that work so tirelessly to grab your attention. See that everything created will eventually fade away then turn to the immutable unchanging god and cling to christ by placing all of your trust in him he is the only foundation that we can be sure will be the same and hold steady yesterday today and forevermore amen let's pray